For those of you who've just joined in, we're going to be uh, carrying on in our Ancient Ways series. Ancient Ways are basically practices that Jesus entrusted to his disciples, um, and then they have, they have entrusted those practices to us. So through the lines of generations, um, our role basically is to lead people into these simple reproducible practices such as prayer and fasting and communion. And there's lots of others besides pilgrimage that we entrust to one another. And in some ways, God meets with us sacramentally, which means through his grace, his grace does something in us. So these things aren't empty rituals that we do just to make us feel better, but actually it's a way of us meeting with God on a very deep level in his Holy Spirit, doing something very profound in us and through us for his purposes in our generation um, so that we too could call people to Jesus um, effectively. So it's not about us getting busy and doing lots of things, it's about us actually slowing down and setting time aside for God to meet with him and commune with him. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 11 this morning and just while you're looking that up in your Bibles, I'm just going to pray. I'm quite anxious this morning, just being very, very upfront, um, a little bit anxious, just a lot going on with all the tech. It's the first time we preach live and I feel like almost this is my first preach. And so uh, it's not, but there we go. Let's, uh, let's, let's pray. Yeah, King Jesus, uh, we welcome you right now to come and meet with us through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that your presence would be right with us wherever we are, whether we be in Sittingbourne or Spain or somewhere else. Lord, we invite you to come and sit with us and commune with us, that you would talk to us through this amazing technology that we've got that allows us to stay connected. Um, it's not the same as being together physically, Lord, but uh, we're thankful for it. And we're thankful that your spirit is the one who unifies us across time and across space, that we are one family. And actually, even the ancient ways that we are going to talk about this morning, they too are a way of unifying us across time and across space as we take part in the same things. Because there's life in these things, Lord Jesus. And so we look to you, say, Lord, we want your life. We choose to take it as our own. Uh, we thank you for resurrection life that is given to us through your cross. Um, so, Lord, speak to us this morning, still my heart, give me peace, uh, cut through all the distractions. Lord Jesus, I pray for your glory um, and help us to see you in a new light. We pray for your glory. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 11. Um, and we're going to go from verse 17. And just to let you know, we're looking at communion. So this morning, you might want to grab yourself some uh, wine or some juice or even a glass of water or coffee, whatever. And something that represents bread. Um, you can use coffee and biscuits if you absolutely must. But if, if we can try and stay with bread, uh, bread and wine, that'd be great. But okay, so I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. And we're just going to unpack this slowly. And we're going to ask a few questions, um, such as what is communion? What happens when you take communion? Who can take communion? Um, what is communion all about? And so we're just going to, um, let's read the Bible. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. And so it says, verse 17, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 17. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. So this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church and he's addressing them. Okay. And he's kind of rebuking them. And you'll see this in a minute. But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. Now, imagine you're the Corinthian church and you've just received a letter from the great apostle Paul that says your meetings are doing more harm than good. Now, for us at Hope Church Sittingbourne, um, I would be absolutely heartbroken if we received a an apostolic letter like that saying, guys, your meetings are shocking and they're doing more harm than good. In essence, you need to stop. You know, that, that is a, a heavy word right there. But we'll carry on. First, 
I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I can believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognised. Here comes a motorbike. You can probably hear that. Woo! When you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. So imagine a, a church lunch and we're all together. There's a big spread of food and some people are just diving in, filling up their plate and loading up whilst others are left with an empty plate. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. So some are just having more than enough, way too much. They're getting bellyache. They may be drinking a bit too much wine and others, like I say, have got an empty plate. And Paul says to this, what? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. So this is like really hard. Paul's sort of like giving them a bit of a, a slap and saying like, what is going on? Like, guys, you've missed the point of communion. You've missed the point of this sacred meal. Verse 23. This is the beautiful bit. This is the central part about what communion is. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. And so as we talk about ancient ways, last week I spoke about apprenticeship. And so what has been entrusted to Paul from Jesus, from on high, and from the other disciples, Paul is now saying, I am entrusting this to you. This is what it is about. And so guys, I am entrusting to you the heart of communion this morning. I'm trying to encourage you. I've looked at what Paul says. I've looked at what Jesus said. I've looked at the practice of the early church. And I'm trying to encourage you. Look, this is something we need to apprentice ourselves in. Like Paul passed on what he had received. I am going to do the same. And you guys are to do likewise with other believers that you know. So verse 23, halfway through. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. So he took some bread. And he gave thanks for it. And then... He broke it. And so quite literally, I'm going to make a lot of crumbs here, but quite literally, he broke it. So Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. I'm going to go out of focus. Sorry, guys. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, just remember, this was a whole piece of bread and it's now being broken. And it represents Jesus's body. Once whole, now broken. In the same way, he took the cup of wine, which we've got just there. This is juice, it's not wine. And he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink, this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And so, friends, this whole thing about when we take communion, when we take the broken bread and when we take the, the blood, the wine poured out for us, we're announcing the Lord's death. We're doing something publicly. We're proclaiming that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus did, just didn't die. But this is a sign of the resurrection. And so what better place to have a public proclamation or a demonstration of the coming return of Jesus than us taking communion on Facebook? where there are millions, probably billions of people. We're doing something publicly and saying, actually, we're gathering around Jesus. We're gathering around his broken 
body, his body broken on the cross for us, for our sin, for our shame, like we heard on that Bible project video. And we're gathering around his blood, which has got life in it that covers us and makes us whole and well. That's a beautiful thing. This is a sign, a foretaste of the coming kingdom. It's about a, a Jesus, the, the resurrected Messiah, the King, coming to return and rule and reign over all creation. He is coming back, friends. We are an Easter people. Every day is Resurrection Sunday. Verse 27. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. And so Paul starts off at the beginning of this letter saying, guys, some of you are turning up like when we're having a meal. Because every time the church gathered, you think in the New Testament in Acts, it says that they gathered together in the temples and in homes and they broke bread and they shared it together. They had meals together. And so we take communion and it's like these separate elements. It's literally blood and what? Well, sorry, wine and bread. But actually, when the early church were doing it, it was shared meals, the sacred meal. They would be like Jesus. You think of the, the Last Supper, that beautiful image of the Last Supper. Jesus is sat there in the center with all the other disciples around him. Sorry, my phone's pinging at me. Another distraction. There we go. But Jesus is sat there at the table with all the other disciples and they're having a meal. And he's basically just saying he's normalizing it. We, we make it into this very distinct, separate, holy practice. Like some churches, you might have the Eucharist. Um, where it's a, a very you have to go and it's administered to you by a holy person someone who's been um, that you know they've been blessed to be able to give it to you whereas actually what we see is Jesus sat around a table imagine at Nando's if we weren't in social isolation and he's just grabbing some of the food and he's saying this is like my body broken for you this is like my blood poured out for you and I believe it's not just an empty ritual it's not just something that we do in remembrance like a monument but this is far more than that this is about like the, the spirit coming and changing and transforming us. There's something sacramental. It's not monumental. It's sacramental. It's how God administers his grace to us through his Holy Spirit in us. And we're like connecting and communing with God, much like we would do in prayer. And so Jesus normalizes this practice. And so one of the things I was chatting with someone earlier this week, and we were talking about how do you normalize these ancient ways so they don't become like a bolt on, a bit like doing 25 push-ups a day for 25 days and you've just got to find the effort to do the challenge and then afterwards you're exhausted, you don't want to do it. So one of the things that we've done as a family just to normalize some ancient practices was what do we do every day as a family? What do we do every day that we don't have to think about? There are things like brushing your teeth, um, I don't know, having a shower, um, perhaps making your bed, maybe not for everyone, um, but... One of the things that we do every day is we sit around the table and we try and have a meal together. Now, of course, there are exceptions where maybe one of us isn't about. If I'm out and about or if we're um, working late or if the kids are at a group or something like that, there's always an exception. But sort of 99.9% .9 of the time, we're all gathered together around dinner trying to have a meal together. And when we do that, one of the things, when, when our children joined our family, one of the first things that we decided that we would do is that we would just normalize reading the Bible together and praying together. And so every time we're around the table, guaranteed, every mealtime, we'll say, what are we thankful for? Um, is there something that you, you know, you're not that happy about? You know, let's talk about these things. And we're doing that before Jesus. We're almost imagining Jesus is at the table with us. There's a seat pulled up. We're doing this in remembrance of him. And we're having the food and we're giving thanks for it. And then at the end of it, we get the Bible out and we read the Bible. We just read a little chunk. At the moment, we're just going through the New Testament, just 
lots of, a few verses at a time and we've gone through most of the gospels we've gone through acts it's super exciting and we just sit there and we talk about what's this say about god what's this say about man is there a promise to uh, to hold on to or is there a command that we've got to obey and then at the end of it once we've all spoken about it for 10 15 minutes we then pray we've taken something an everyday practice like sitting around a table and having a meal and we've consecrated it we've offered it to god and trust me god has come and spoken to us we've had some incredibly profound moments in those times where people have got it we've seen the lights go on in either in our own minds or our children's minds it's a beautiful thing and so jesus is doing that here when he's having this last supper with the disciples he's he's, he's consecrating an everyday practice he's saying guys you're going to be sat having meals every day after i've gone and when you do it remember me remember that I've broken my body for you. Remember that I've poured out my blood for you. Don't forget what you're gathered here for. Don't gather for yourselves in your own bellies. Don't consume everything for yourselves. So one of the challenges for us is we live in an incredibly consumeristic culture. Like it's all about um, sort of greed and keeping things for yourselves. And so the, the really interesting thing about communion is it's subversive. It pushes against that prevailing culture because actually the whole thing of breaking, when you get the bread and you break it, the reason it's broken is so that it can be shared. If I was just going to eat this myself, I'd just keep it whole and I'd just consume it myself. But actually the, the moment you break it, it's to be shared. And who's it meant to be shared with? It's to be shared with everyone, everywhere, every day. There are no boundaries. There are no barriers. There are not certain people that can or cannot take communion. So in answer to Adam Gregory's um, question, can young and old, can anyone take communion? Yeah, I think they can. Now, I know some people would say, well, it's only for believers. And I would say, actually, I don't think that's true. Now, I do think that the, the bulk of the New Testament teaches that this is a practice that disciples do to remember Jesus, to be thankful. But I want to share a little story. When I was uh, I don't know, 11, 12 would have been that sort of age. Um, I used to go to Boys Brigade. Um, you might have heard me share this before, but the reason I used to go Boys Brigade was I had some friends that went there and um, predominantly I was interested in some of the girls that went to Girls Brigade as well. So this was many years ago. I'm married now. so. Um, but I, I went along to Boys Brigade and one of the things we used to do, we used to play in the band. It was in Hextable, little um, Fourth Bromley Boys Brigade, I think it was. And we used to go along, and sometimes on a Sunday, we'd have to play in the band. And I used to play these like strange drums that were strapped to me, and they were so heavy, they used to like break my back. Um, but one of the things I remember doing was afterwards, we'd obviously join in with the church service. It was a Methodist church, I believe. And I remember once um, sitting there, and the guy was preaching. I can't remember anything that he said. I, didn't, I, I wasn't a Christian, certainly wasn't a Christian. I was far from God, um, just a young lad, um, sort of 11, 12, not even really a teenager. And I remember the invitation to come forward and take communion. And it was administered to us. You know, we, we sort of went up the front and the guy gave it to us. But I remember having a profound moment while I was sat there thinking about should I or shouldn't I come and take communion. And I, I remember actually making a decision that I'm going to move towards Jesus in this moment. I remember it's incredibly profound. Probably one of my first ever experiences that I remember of thinking about God. And I'd never thought really about God before that. And so I went forward and I took communion and I certainly wasn't a believer, but it was an incredibly profound moment in my life that I look back on and I think that was probably the beginning of God doing something in my life. And so as much as I would say to people, of course, like, you know, use wisdom about 
coming forward. But I think actually even for children, it's a good thing to get, as long as you're explaining in the age-appropriate language what it is they're doing, what it is you're doing. It's not just an empty ritual. I think that's the problem that we read about in this verse is that for the Corinthian church, it had become an empty ritual. People were just going up to the table and they were, were scoffing things and they'd missed the heart of what Jesus is doing in that moment. The actual word communion speaks of itself. So take the word community and the word union and join them together, communion. So God is trying to draw people to himself in community. And the way that we're drawn into God's community is through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. His broken body, he's poured out blood. So communion represents that, that God is drawing us into community with himself. And then the whole thing of union, that it's actually unifying us to Jesus. It's making us one with him through the Holy Spirit. And it's also making us one with other brothers and sisters not just in Hope Church, Sittingbourne or your local church where you're from, but with all believers over all generations, over all of time and history and into the future. So the mind-blowing thing, and like this, this genuinely like blows my mind, is you think right now across the nations and over the last 24 hours, there would have been hundreds of thousands, if not millions potentially, of people gathering to Jesus in worship and potentially in communion. And so... The whole thing is that we have been unified by these ancient ways, by these practices. And Paul is saying, I'm entrusting this practice of communion to you. Don't do it wrongly. Don't just think of it as an empty ritual that doesn't really matter. We could do that with anything, with prayer, with worship. We, we can approach God and our heart becomes so disconnected. And that's why I think, I don't believe that the bread in itself is anything special. I don't believe that the wine in and of itself is anything special. It's actually the heart of what we're doing. If you're gathering to Jesus when we take communion in a moment and you've got biscuits and a cup of coffee, I don't think it's actually, has it got to be particularly leavened bread? Now, some people would preach that it has. But I think Jesus, even when he was talking about giving, he doesn't talk about it's about the amount. He talks about it's the heart behind it. So whether you've got the right elements or you've got the wrong elements, it's about the heart that you want to gather to Jesus. You want to unify, not just with your local church, but with other churches across all of human history, other believers, with Jesus as the king. Jesus as the king. And so that's an incredible qualifier because all of a sudden it means that every church in Sittingbourne is on the same level pegging, whether it's a church plant or a church that's been around for a thousand years. We're all on the same level pegging. That it's the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our King. Our Holy Spirit unifies us, draws us into community and into union. Communion with God. Okay, how are we doing for time? Right. I knew this had happened. I, I really struggle with time. So we're just going to bring this into land. So anyone who eats with this bread or drinks this cup, verse 27, unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. So check your heart out. Before you take communion, check your heart. Because it's important. If your heart is in the wrong place, then actually you're, you're bringing judgment on yourself because you're denying the place of Jesus in the sacrament. It's become an irreverent thing. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honouring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. Right, so that's a big conundrum, and one that will probably take half an hour to speak into, but there's this sense that taking communion with an unworthy heart heaps judgment on yourself and brings sickness and death. That's, that's stark. But then the opposite is true as an encouragement, that when you take communion with a right heart and you look at your heart with sober judgment 
and then you come to Jesus and you partake in his broken body and his poured out blood, that he's broken it and shared it with the world. When you do that, it brings life and brings healing. That is the, the opposite of what we've just read. And that, I think, is a huge encouragement. So it's not an empty ritual. There is power within it. Now, it's not like some sort of weird kind of witchcraft type thing. The Holy Spirit is bringing life when we take communion rightly. But when we take it wrongly, actually, we stray into the pitfalls of, of, of doing a practice and actually not honouring God in that. Verse 31, but if we could examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. So when we approach God with the right heart, it doesn't cause us problems. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. And so if we start to find actually that there's things pressing in on us, we need to soberly judge ourselves and say, God, what are you doing in me? You're trying to discipline me so I don't go the same way as the world. The interesting thing is there are two realities that we hear about in the New Testament all the way through. There's life and death. Um, there's the sheep and the goats. There's the wheat and the chaff. You know, there's these two types of creation. There's Adam and there's Jesus. And one is marked by death and one is marked by life. And so taking communion in a consumeristic way where it's all about me loading up my plate, loading up my glass and just going for it and forgetting everybody else, that misses the heart of it. Whereas doing the opposite is actually entering, entering into the life of Jesus. And so I see communion as a way of approaching Jesus and getting closer to him and his heart and him being able to change me from the inside out. So I haven't got to be completely right and perfect before I take communion. Actually, in the taking of communion... I begin to be changed and transformed. As I begin to pray, prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. That's what C.S. Lewis said. And so there's this whole thing that as we partake in, um, in, in these sacraments, in these ancient ways, God brings change and transformation in our life. Now I'm going to invite Natalie. She's downstairs at the moment. And so I need to just say, Natalie, would you come upstairs? Because we're going to bring this into land in a moment. And so verse 33. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper... For the sacred meal, wait for each other. If you're really hungry, then eat first at home. So, guys, when we're back gathering together, have your breakfast at home so you're not tempted to eat all of the bread. Now, no one is doing that in our church, but that was happening in the Corinthian church. And actually, we should normalise the practice that it's not about us having to find specific elements. It's actually about us. I can't get this in focus. We don't have to get specific elements. It's about us when we have a meal with others saying, Jesus, would you sit with us? Would you commune? with us in union with us would you take a seat at the table then by doing that we won't bring judgment on ourselves when we meet together and then actually going right back to verse 16 which i didn't read but if anyone wants to argue about this this is paul talking to the church i simply say that we have no other custom other than this and neither do god's other churches and so oh hang on okay and so neither do god's other churches and so this is the practice of communion, is that it's to be done with a right heart. It's to be done in approaching God rightly. And so have we answered, what does, God, what does communion do when you take it? Yes, we have. God administers his grace to us and he draws us together with the global church and he changes us from the inside out. And should people of all ages take part in communion? I believe, yes, they should. And so we are now going to invite you to take communion in your own home and we're going to normalise it. This isn't some, it is a sacred moment, but it's not like we don't have to get all weird about it. Um, so I'm going to nudge over and Natalie's going to jump down next to me and I'm going to have some water because I'm all spoken out. <laughs> Welcome back. Great. To me. Great. Thank you, love. Well done.
Yeah, we're there, we're there. And so, First live sermon. So guys, if you've got your um, bread and your wine at home, we're going to take this together. And actually, this is a way of us unifying together. Communion should be taken together. That's what we see. This is a togethering practice. It's not about us doing our own thing. And so we might all be in separate locations. But actually, as we gather around the elements, whatever they are, whether it's your milkshake and donuts or whether it's our bread and juice, as we gather around those things and we think in our heart of Jesus, actually, we're all moving closer to him through his Holy Spirit in some weird, strange, supernatural way. It's not just some wishful thinking, it's actually what is going on. And that's a powerful thing. And so, I'm just going to read verse 23 again, if I can. And um, Natalie's going to take part in communion, so will I. So get your bread ready. So verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. And that was kind of what I've just done in the instructions. So on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. So at home, take your bread. And he gave thanks to God for it. And so let's just take a moment to pray for the food that we've got, for, for the food that we get to enjoy. Not just for this bit of bread, but actually for all the provision that we've got right now in this moment in time when a lot of people have got nothing. So, love, could you pray? Yeah. Thank you, Father God, that um, you've given us so much. Yeah, you've given us, you fill our physical needs as well as anything else. And we thank you that we get to celebrate together the fact that Jesus has fulfilled our need for restoration with you, Father God. And we take this yeah. and we remember, Jesus, that you died. And not only did you die, but you came back to life again. So help us to draw in to who you are, into relationship with you and with one another as we participate in this communion together today amen amen and then it said that he broke the bread into pieces and he said this is my body which is given for you do this in remembrance of me and so if you've got a piece of bread at home and you're in a family you might want to break it and each take a part and then just eat it and just remember jesus and so what i want to encourage you to do is just to actually say to one another something that you're thankful for for jesus and so i'm going to do that with natalie we've got a bit of bread that's already broken so you might want to do this at home, get your bread, eat a bit. We've got very dry bread. Doesn't matter though, does it? Very dry bread. Next time we need tiger bread, next time. <laughs> Or a bit of cake. Don't know that Jesus meant that. So now what we're going to do is just, just literally, I'm so thankful that Jesus has literally made this life possible for us. Mm. And whatever this represents, is, I just think the heart of Jesus, like the way that we're living right now in Sittingbourne, what he's called us to, the fact that we get to encourage people mm. like this is amazing. And I'm just so thankful for it. It gets me quite emotional actually, mm. just thinking about it. So Jesus, I thank you that your death on the cross made this possible. Mm. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and I thank you, God, that my life's been turned around because of this. Amen. Amen. And so hopefully you guys take a moment do that at home. And then in verse 25, it says, In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper. So they, so check this out. So we do this as two things close together. It says after supper. So we got a bit of bread while they were eating a meal. So imagine you're at Nando's. This is the image I wanted to use 
when I was or Pizza Express say I'm using all these things you can tell I like eating out I miss I miss takeaway and eating out we don't do enough of it and particularly in lockdown but you know like you can get those tear and share ciabatta breads oh they're absolutely lovely so Jesus when he did the bread it's like he got this big ciabatta bread tear and share and he's like look guys this is me broken so that each of you can enjoy the life of God this is what I'm going to go through in a momentarily on the cross. This is the last meal we're going to have together. So when you get together and you break your ciabatta bread next time, remember this is me. So he's normalizing an everyday practice. And then they had the rest of the meal. And it says here, after the meal, he took the wine after supper. So they'd had a big meal. This isn't something they do separately. This is part of a whole meal together. This is like when we have a lunch or breakfast together. The whole thing is consecrated to Jesus. He is there. He's got a seat at the table. He is present through his Holy Spirit. And then he, he took the cup of wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Jesus is literally saying, I have signed this contract mm. in my blood. That's amazing. The king of heaven has signed the contract, an agreement, a covenant between God and us, signed in the blood of Jesus. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. And so Jesus is saying every time you have a meal, remember it's his body broken. And every time you have a drink with that meal, remember it's his blood poured out. The elements aren't that important. It's about the whole thing of consecrating that moment daily, everyday practices, ancient ways. Our everyday practices are ancient ways if we can consecrate them and give them to God. And so we're just going to take a, a sip of the, the drink. Take a glug if you want. Be lavish. This isn't about stingy and lack. This is about being broken and multiplying rather than having to hold because of singularity. Whatever you have isn't going to be able to multiply. And so that whole principle of multiplication is huge. As it's broken, it can feed the world, literally feed the nations. Jesus invites all of us into his kingdom through his broken body. And so be lavish in what you take. But the warning is don't get drunk. Don't drink the whole bottle. Just drink a little glass of it. Yeah. And so do you want to take that? And you might want to do the same at home. Mm. Okay. What are you thankful for? What am I thankful for? Thankful that when you let Jesus into your life, he does something. Um, I'm not the same person that I was when I first met him and I couldn't have done that on my own mm. yeah just just because of Jesus's death that I've been made new and been given life yeah better yeah. than I could imagine yeah yeah I could never have imagined the life that we would have the things that, and it's not been without its struggles and its mm. challenges more than I would ever have wished on anyone some of it and some of it we still go through mm. But just that we get to do it with Jesus and we get to invite him into our family, into our lives in the good times and the bad times is a beautiful thing. And it don't always make sense. Mm -hmm. But when you walk in the road with Jesus, you know, you're going to be all right. Mm -hmm. And so um, the amazing thing, verse 26, as we bring it in to finish. For every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing mm -hmm. or proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. Mm -hmm. And so we're remembering that he laid his life down for us. And so if you're far from God this morning and you're watching this and you're thinking, this is intriguing, I've never heard this before, then I want to encourage you to, like I did all those years ago as an 11, 12-year-old, just I made some steps to Jesus. I, it took me many more years after that to give my life to God. I had to do three alphas. I'm an alcoholic. I had to do three alpha courses exploring who Jesus is. Once in my early 20s after drinking drugs and burnout, you know, which I wish I hadn't gone through, and if I could go back and tell that 12-year-old, give your life to Jesus, yeah. I would. 
but I actually, but actually, God has. He did. I did. But actually, time. God has used that period of time for His purposes. But I just want to encourage you: if you are at home right now and you're looking in on it, and you say, "I'm not, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I, I'm not sure I can hold on to that, but it's intriguing," then get in touch with me. I'd love to to have a chat with you and pray with you about that. Um, there's a whole conversation around that. Start taking steps towards mm. Jesus. You won't regret it. It'll change mm. your life from the inside out. He's it, not in it controlling you. He's in it giving you freedom. And so I'm just going to pray, and then we're going to wind things up to close. I know we've gone over a little bit today, guys. Sorry about that, but I really felt there was a bit of weight and a bit of meat to this one. We didn't want to rush through it. Mm. So King Jesus... We thank you so much for your body broken and your blood poured out for us and that there is real life in it when we take it with a right heart. And so, Lord, I do pray for every home across the nations, wherever they are right now and sitting more and further afield, that your Holy Spirit will be changing and transforming us, not only for our own purposes, but as you've broken yourself to then multiply yourself out into the world to bring life, that we would break our own comfort and our own routines and our own patterns to be able to pour ourselves out also mm. so that other people would encounter you in life and life abundant, that we wouldn't be stingy with our time or with our hearts or with our money, but Lord, that we would be so generous knowing that as we do that, you pour in far more than we can pour out. And so, Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful ancient way of the sacred meal of communion. And we honour you through it. And we say, Lord Jesus, will we give ourselves to it more and more as individuals and as families for your purposes in this generation. Because as we do, we are proclaiming your death and your resurrection that is to come. And the, and the whole new creation you are going to usher in. And so, Lord, we thank you and we love you. Be with us, Lord, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.